Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hello, everyone. It's another episode of Cinematics. We're... I was going to say we're joined by Anderson Cowan. I miss him so much. We're going to see Anderson Cowan next week on episode 169. Let's live in the present. We are now on episode one. <laughs> right. Bruce Perk is mouthing the words 169 clean show. Episode 168. We I am joined by my betters, co-hosts for Cinematics, Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. Bruce Perky, you are a very detailed oriented person. I'm not I'm not throwing I'm not throwing like heat on you, Eric. I'm just saying Bruce is very insightful and detail oriented. Did you notice on our cinematics logo that we actually, it still says Greg Srizavosti, Anderson Cowan and Greg Srizavosti. Eric and Bruce, are you okay with that? That that your names are not on the actual logo of cinematics? Want to throw it out to you right now? Yes. You're okay with it? Yes. Okay. Uh, Bruce, uh, how do you feel about that? I think we're on there. I think it's just subliminal. I think you have to just, it's kind of like one of those uh, things you used to have to stare at and make your eyes cross and you can see the names. I think we pop up if you do that. Okay. All right. So just stare at that logo for like hours. Make sure you're listening to one of the episodes while you're doing it, just to give us some more downloads. And uh, hey, you'll see our faces pop up. And okay. And I, you guys did not notice, but usually on the cinematics logo head, I guess for the podcast information, it usually says Anderson Cowan and Greg Srizavosti. I actually put Anderson Cowan, Greg Swizavosti, Bruce Perky, and Eric Holmes. Obviously, that was just because I was, you know, you guys are, we're a foursome. Unfortunately, when you look at the actual podcast logo, it says Anderson Cowan, Greg Swizavosti, BR. <laughs> so, Oos, <laughs> Perky, and Eric Holmes are forever invisible. Eric Holmes, are you okay being the invisible man? Oh, yeah. Well, you got uh, Bruce's first two letters, so that's <laughs> he's moving on up in the world. Well, you know, they some... think they're cold. Burr. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing about being invisible sometimes, Eric Holmes, is you can actually go to an event over the weekend and listen to mm-hmm. some really interesting music by the owls, the trolls. What were you listening to? over the... What's the name of this group that you were listening to? And what does this have to do with our cinematics universe? Oh, I went uh, with some friends to the Stanley Hotel over the weekend to watch Goblin do their uh, live Suspiria score. And I may have caught some some, uh, music because they they play Suspiria. They play the the score over Suspiria. And then they get done and then they'll start playing some some music from other movies that they've done. Uh, Dawn the Dead, Deep Red. Previously, they'd done one of Phenomena, but they didn't do it this time. Um, they did get Demons in there, and uh, I caught a I, I caught a couple of their full songs at the end. And uh, who knows? Um, I, we're literally just talking with Bruce before we started recording. Um, I think we might put up uh, some of the live footage, and then Bruce and I might do uh, some reviews on the movies and kind of uh, give some. Uh, maybe bits of trivia and whatnot on the movies that Goblin covered that I happen to catch. So listeners, by the way, I, I just knew this about Eric Holmes, maybe two, two and a half years ago. He's very passionate about Goblin, the music behind these Jalo films, specifically Suspiria. So it was a very big event for him to go with friends over at the Stanley Hotel. Did you spend the night at the hotel, Eric Holmes? Is, is that how that works? Or did you so just go? The first night I did not. Um, and because uh, some of my friends from Colorado uh, went with me. And then I had uh, Andrew, he flew in 
and he was staying at the Stanley Hotel. He stayed two nights, and we were only staying one night. And so he was going to stay the second night, and I was like, screw it, I'll stay the second night with you. And uh, so uh, I did stay the second night there, but not the not the first one. Would you suggest that people go to uh, visit the Stanley Hotel? I, I guess Goblin or not? Did you like the hotel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. So <laughs> this is pretty good. We did. By the, the way, Bruce, uh, we're not reviewing any movies. We just played a big trick on you. You had to watch all. You had to watch the Alma and the Seahorse. Bruce, you had to watch Pinocchio. You had to actually watch the Apology, High Heat, Adult Swim, U Log, and also Brian and Charles. Bruce, we just pulled a trick. We're, we're just talking about the Stanley stuff. Are you okay with that? <laughs> well, I mean, he had to got to review all the toilets. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So where does what is this toilets about? And in and would you recommend the hotel? Go ahead. So we we did the uh uh we did the uh uh shining tour mm-hmm. and they just bring you uh, they got a bunch of different tours. They got like the Stanley Hotel tour, they got the shining tour, they got like the underground, they got a bunch of different tours. Um the shining one specific to the shining, whether it's the book or the movie and so on and so forth. And uh, so they, they take us to the shining tour and then we get to this one part of it. I think it was like the, uh, like the men's, uh, it was this building. It's like one of the older structures that they first built around there. Mm-hmm. It's like the men's dorm. I think they called it or the male dorm or something like that. Right. And you go in and like all the lights are off and then they tell you a uh, guy, tour guide, you know, tells you ghost stories and like shows you pictures. Here's uh here's the one of the ghosts here and you can kind of see a little blurb right there that might or might not be a ghost. And some people are creeped out. I I'm just kind of buying in because I, I don't believe in ghosts, but I do like uh going to haunted houses and watching horror movies. So I do like buying into this sort of thing. Um and then so we're uh going around and all the lights are off. And so you can't you have to have like a uh either a flashlight on your phone or a flash you have to have some sort of light source otherwise uh, you can't see anything. Um, and I'm going around and I go all the way to the back and, uh, I see a toilet back. There's a bathroom back there and there's a toilet. I'm like, hey, Andrew, come here. I need to take a picture of me. <laughs> so I post next to the toilet. And then we go to the next house, uh, the next part of the tour. And it's like this house with like a bunch of cool stuff in it. There's a bunch of toilets in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, let's <laughs> Let's let's collect the set <laughs> toilet picture gallery, and that I believe did you share that to your personal Facebook? Did you show yeah. it? Did you share it to our cinematics Facebook group? Have you done that yet, Eric Holmes? Um, have you done I, that? I don't know. I I will though. Please, yeah. please do again. Cinematics Facebook group. We do daily movie insights. We I, I do a weekly, I actually weekend Blu-ray and DVD giveaway. Join us. We have some really great people who. Well, just really, they, they contribute to our community. They don't send send us pictures of toilets at the Stanley Hotel. That's Eric's job. I'm excited to see that picture gallery for a cinematic Facebook group. But people like Joseph Bridges and Matt Stillman and who else? Help me, Bruce. Jason Kleberg from the Force 5 Film Podcast. Also, Matt Stillman. Not, yeah, I said Matt Stillman. Pete Abeda from Middle Class Film Class. What did Pete Abeda, the chairman of the board at uh, Middle Class Film Class, what is he doing for us this week? Bruce Berkey, tell us. I think we just have to leave that as an exciting surprise later in the episode. How dare you? Yes, yes. Maybe it's going to be a surprise. Look, oh, that I tried to lead. I tried to lead Bruce into a question about what Peter Beta is going to do for this episode, but no, he actually revolted and said, "Hey, we're going to do it later in the show." I've noticed this lack, this little bit of anarchy from Bruce Perky when we started it's the forward tease. It's promotion for our show, so and, people keep listening. And here's here's what he's doing. He's actually <laughs> arguing with me right now because you know why, listeners. At the beginning of the show, I said, "Hey, Eric, Bruce." 
why don't we just cakewalk it for the for last week of December? And Bruce says, no, I'm, we're going to record the last week of December. That's right. Hello, high water. And I go, wait, don't we deserve a break? No, we got to keep on working. I sound like I'm kidding, but I'm not. Eric, what do you think about Bruce being so uh, a workaholic when it comes to, I was going to say, find your film. What When it comes to find your film cinematics, what do you think, Eric Holmes? You think well, that's a little bit too much? It is a it is a season of giving, and we'll give you more cinematic episodes before the year is done. Oh dear, you Bruce, be generous over this holiday season regarding our movie coverage. That means I need to spend another friggin' week of watching movies. I I was gonna say I I mean I love you, Bruce, but what's the opposite of I love you in a clean show? Uh, how, I have a I better just... idea. I, I got the idea. I got this. I got this. Okay, so go ahead. We'll have all the movies lined up, right? Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. don't watch them. And then you'll review each one first without seeing it. I do that. Review. I do that every single week. Bruce doesn't change a darn thing. You were going to know this. Oh, also, by the way, a couple of changes here. Cinematics. One of the great things about Anderson is he's always very personal. He's got to put a lot of his, he puts his personal spin along with his, his uh, filmmaking and film going aesthetic into his various podcasts, like here in cinematics, also an after disaster, of course, the film vault. And now moving forward, that's that Stanley Hotel little aside from Eric Holmes. I'm hopefully I'm I, I didn't tell us to Bruce or Eric before we started the show because I'm not a team player as Bruce and, and Eric do know this. But we're gonna have more personal sides as our intro. So if you want a little bit more of a personal touch with cinematics among us three. Anderson already does it because that's his innate talent. You're going to get more of a personal side for us. And just because of that, of I'm bringing that in. If you don't, if you don't like that personal touch, you can automatically desubscribe to our cinematics podcast feed because I, I was thinking about that aesthetic and I, I unsubscribe to our, to our feed because I don't want that personal, personal touch. Eric Holmes, do you want that personal touch with cinematics or do you just want to keep it to the movies? What do you think? I I think personal touches are wonderful so long as they're consensual and you brought that up brilliantly. Yes. Yes, sir. If you want it, it's there. If you don't, we're not forcing it on you. Bruce, a.k.a. Al Pacino from Revolution, what do you think? Do you like the personal touch for cinematics now? Do you like a more personal touch? I would say we have some personal touch here, and then in the Patreon, they can have even more personal touches. <laughs> oh, very good. Catch-all for $5. I don't know what catch-all means, but $5 for this Patreon cinematics. Please for join. really, really personal touches, we have our OnlyFans. We haven't started that yet, though. <laughs> we haven't started that yet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> or probably, in our case, OnlyFan. But anyways, only, yes. <laughs> Why am I the only one signed up for this? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Bruce, for that. Now, here's the thing. We have three features this week. And actually, do we have three features? Well, we have two features. One of them really big, and the other one's called Pinocchio. But I'm pumped. No, there's the Pinocchio, and there's another movie called The Almond and the Seahorse. Let's start off with the big one first. I'm also going to have a couple of little mini recommends for our main features. Also, in a serious note, one thing that we're going to be doing moving forward, because we have a lot of interviews on our Cinematics podcast feed, we put it on our Flick City sub feed. But for our main show, I'm going to try to actually put on a an interview to intersperse everything our coverage our weekly coverage so you're going to get movie reviews plus at least one interview per episode moving forward if you don't want to even to listen to these interviews i'll have them all on the time codes and you can just go fast forward or just click on whatever review you want it's all going to be in the time codes okay now let's start off with our main featured review it's pinocchio currently on netflix we don't need the title there's a guy named geppetto pinocchio he's a puppet stop motion the guy who did that what was that fish movie bruce what was that fish movie that guillermo del toro did? it's that guillermo del toro what what fish movie did he do fish uh, movie fish movie mm. you know, 
Catch a fish? No, I'm trying to think if he did anything else. I call a fish movie. Uh, yeah, The Shape Labyrinth? of Water is what it's called. Oh, <laughs> the Shape of Water. Bruce, you love that movie, right? The Shape of Water. You love The Shape of Water. It's okay. I like yeah. it. All right. Eric Holmes, you love The Shape of Water. You, you really yes, enjoyed I do. that. Yes, do you I also do. like Real Big Fish? The group. Do you like Real Big Fish? Uh, I like some beer. That's about it. <laughs> Real Big Fish or The Shape of Water? Which would you would you rather listen to the music or watch that movie again? I'd probably watch Shape of Water again. Oh, Although man. Real Big Fish was on basketball. And I watched that a bunch of times. And I watched that a bunch more times. Very good, Eric Holmes, on that volley. Now, I don't know. Let me before we get into Pinocchio, Bruce Berkey. I, I threw these fish little remarks on GDT. I actually am a Guillermo del Toro fan. I really love The Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, Pac Rim, Pacific Rim, and I, I believe I was actually a little bit off target with Crimson Peak. That's a movie that I really want to see again. It's beautiful production design. Are you a huge fan of of GDT, Bruce Berkey? Huge fan. Um, I always like I always like the look of his movies, and I like quite a bit of most of his movies. And there's a few that are just kind of like mm, they're okay, but um, this well, we'll talk about this one. But uh, yeah, I would say I like a fair amount of his movies. Probably half of them are really really good. The ones that aren't really really good, or you're a little bit mixed on because of their look. Do you end up liking them as the years progressed, or do you you know what I'm saying? Because they're the production di- design is so high high end in a GDT film that maybe you might want to, I was going, I was mentioning Crimson Peak. Maybe there might be other GDT films that you like maybe in posterity, I guess. I could see that. I mean, it's possible. I, I, I usually like them those from the gate and then I like them still later down the road because of usually because I like the story more, I'm more engaged by the story. So mm-hmm. some of them where I wasn't as engaged by the story, I don't think it makes me more engaged over time, but you never know. Movies change with you, you know, hmm. Eric Holmes, favorite GDT film. What is it? Uh, besides the one we just watched, oh, probably. Okay, okay, I like it. I like it. All right. Actually, Pan's Labyrinth would have to be up there. Um, hmm. Yeah, probably Pan's Labyrinth, I think. Have you ever seen The Devil's Backbone? Have you seen that one? A long time ago. I got I to gotta catch up on that. Kronos and Mimic. He did Mimic, right? He did Mimic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah like I have the, not his seen earlier Kronos. ones, it's been too long. I, I just Hellboy? Go back to of course. Them. It seems like Hellboy would be right, right up there. I didn't like there. the first Hellboy. I liked the second Hellboy a lot more, um, but I didn't love either one of them. Blade 2, Blade 2 was awesome. Um, did you like the GDT last year? The movie? Oh, I, lo- I love Blade 2. Um, did, did you like the movie last year? I'm completely forgetting, Bruce, what was it? Oh, Night- G- Nightmare Alley? No, I need to watch that in the, I'm going to watch that in the original probably this week. Mm, okay. Oh, because you love... Okay, Eric, we're going to start off with your review on Pinocchio. Your thoughts on this film. And is that... Do you love it so much? Is that why you're going to watch Nightmare Alley next week? Uh, no, that um, that had something... Uh, they had uh, Banshees of Inisherin on HBO Max. Okay. And I when I clicked on that, which, by the way, Banshees of Inisherin, that's really good, too. Go check that out. Okay. But... uh uh, they had a nightmare and Al- nightmare alley on there, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I didn't. I never got around to that. It was just one of those that came, went, and I forgot about." And so when I saw it while watching Banshees of Inisherin, I was like, "I need to get back to that." So I will. But um, mm-hmm. Pinocchio, it was uh, you know, you, you've seen the Pinocchio story before. I like just how this one starts off. Um, Basically, uh, you know, Geppetto's son dies in a huge explosion, and then uh, he bears the body. It's like kind of, uh, kind of up light a little bit. You know, it's kind of similar, uh, similar opening to up, where it's kind of trying to pull your heartstrings. And it worked for me. Uh, I planted the tree, or like a tree grows by his grave, and then he cuts the tree down and decides to make a uh, little wooden boy out of it. 
and then some magic stuff happens. Um, I like this a lot better than the the Pinocchios I've seen before. Um, this has like a I don't know. It just goes on a lot of uh, fun and dark directions. Um, it's not. So they have this thing when uh, Pinocchio dies, he goes to the afterlife and then they have a uh, timer. Once the timer runs out, then they can put him back on earth. You know, he springs back to life on earth. And right away, I'm like, well, you just removed all the stakes to this movie. How'd, like, how, how's this going to play? And they somehow seem to make it work, um, especially towards the end where that really comes into play. Um it has a few beats that you might have seen in the Walt Disney Pinocchio movie that I think most people are familiar with, but I, this one seemed a lot more focused to me, like on like just the the family dynamic between him and Geppetto and um, uh, Sebastian Cricket, um, and Sebastian Cricket gets done dirty in this. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't have to die thirteen times and wait for a timer, uh, but it, it was just real sweet. Uh, pulled at my heartstrings. Um, the stop motion animation is amazing in this. And, uh, also it's on Netflix. So when you get done with it, you can go back and watch a making of, which I think kind of might, uh, add to your appreciation of this movie. Assuming you don't have it already, but yeah, okay. I, I love this movie. And I think this might be my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie. Very good. Hi, great marks from Eric Holmes. I'm sure, I'm assuming, my money is on Bruce Perky loving it just as much as Eric Holmes. Your thoughts, Bruce? I think so. I mean, I don't know what he's rating it. I'm probably pretty close to his rating on it as well. This is uh, really, really well done. I think, uh, you know, it's one of those movies like uh, where they put the name of the director above the name of the movie, and you're like, okay, come on. But this one, I think it makes sense to say it's, you know, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, because all of his obsessions are present in this version of Pinocchio and you got fascism in Italy, you've got, um, you know, all the stuff with death and, and, you know, childhood and, you know, and all that stuff is is right in here. Plus the production design, of course, with the, uh, what are they? Uh, I don't know if they're not angels exactly. They're sprites or whatever they are. There's the one of death and there's the one of the forest that kind of brings him to life. Uh, all the ways that it looks is, is really great. Um, he has a lot of his usual actors in here, even though they're all voice actors. Although I did, I did find it incredibly great that, uh, Kate Blanchett is basically a screeching oh. monkey, <laughs> a screeching monkey in this movie. And she was very excited to be a screeching monkey. When you watch that making of, that was amazing. That makes you love her even more than maybe you already do. You know, what's a very interesting thing about Kate Blanchett is while she was doing ADR, yeah, that voice work ADR for Pinocchio, she was alternating in the same booth or in the same area. Once she was done with Pinocchio, then she'd move on to ADR with Tar. Imagine wow. that. <laughs> so. Well, she didn't have a lot of lines in this movie. Let's put it that way. So I think the ADR might have been a little a little easier here, but maybe a little more fun. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen Tar. Tar, I've heard, is great. Um, anyway, I, I quite like this. And I think this is for some people who definitely going to become an instant classic. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of kids that get catch this and find this and love it above and beyond, you know, the classic Disney Pinocchio. And I think um, this does what some of the great children's uh, fantasy, you know, movies do. And that is it, it has stakes. It has darkness has, you know, serious darkness in it. And I think that a lot of times um, 
it makes it a little more impactful to kids sometimes when it's just not all super sugar and sweet. I think this movie uh, doesn't talk down to kids, but it also is totally there for adults as well. Uh, it, it has musical numbers, of course, but they're very slight. They aren't in here hardly at all. Uh, but I do want to point out, there's the, the moment when Pinocchio comes to life and he's just running around the Geppetto's house asking what all the things are. And he's just generally causing murderous mayhem nearly at all at all sides. You know, what's this? Knives are flying. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun throughout. I think this is a pretty dazzling and pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, I, I just, here's the thing though. This probably a ridiculous question, but if you're not predisposed to stop motion animation and you are, I don't know, maybe not the biggest animation fan, but let's just say you're a cinephile. Does this movie has this Pinocchio have, have cross appeal outside of that stop motion world? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Mostly because, uh, like like we said, uh, like any good kids movie, uh, you know, it's got it's got stakes and it's got teeth to it. Especially the ending of this. Oh my god! Like I, I think one of the takeaways is that uh, death is part of life and that's okay. And that's a really heavy and bold message to give in a kids movie. And uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm old to handle that. I'm not okay with that <laughs> message. I am not okay with watching that. Did you reach for your uh, t- uh, hanky there, uh, Eric, at the end with that, that kind of message? A, a, a little bit, but mostly I was kind of taken back like, wow, they really went for it on this. And I, I, I was pretty impressed. Um, so I think that if, and, and that, and that's the thing, the, you know, the, the main thing comparison is comparing it to the Disney one. And that there's some stuff in the, the Disney, uh, Pinocchio that's got some teeth to it as well. Some stuff that'll, you know, rattle a kid and stick with you. But I think this one just kind of takes it up another 10 notches and really goes for it. Bruce, my niece is six. She's seen ET. She's seen Star Wars. Can she see? Uh, she's, I, I think she's seen the original Pinocchio. Is this Pinocchio for her as well? Even with the theme of death is part of life kind of thing. Yeah. I think ET is a great comparison. I think this is right on that par as far as like kind of the, the more adult themes, it never gets super violent. And like Eric kind of mentions, there are stakes, but kind of not stakes. And the death isn't, I mean, there's nothing like super violent or gross. Um, but it's just, there's a lot of visual magic here. I can't imagine that uh, a lot of kids aren't going to enjoy this. The way you guys are talking about Pinocchio or talking it up, this might be a top five or top 10 for both of you. I know you guys haven't made, Bruce, you've been doing on our Cinematics Facebook group, you've been counting down what I guess 31 down here. I think you're 22 or 23 right now. Mm-hmm. You guys, do you think maybe a top Pinocchio is a top 10 for both of you as far as the end of the year? What do you guys think so far on that? I mean, so it's still not as good as Mad God. I mean, we didn't make the obvious <laughs> comparison, um, but yeah, this, this one's a really good one. I don't know that I'll make my top 10. I could though. I mean, it, it, it is that good. Okay. Is it better than Saga Sue, Eric? Don't don't say. Oh no don't. no. Come okay on. okay. I like that. Well, that said, hey, Greg, you can't compare every movie to Saga Sue. That's just not fair. That's <laughs> my number one this year. I'm sorry. I mean, I, just, I will I'm say so though, crazy about that movie. I, I will say that the ending of Pinocchio touched me as much as the ending of Saga Sue did because they 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 went for it that hard. And I think they nailed it. Great great comparison, Eric Holmes. Your rating on Pinocchio. Uh, you know the the original Disney's a classic five star movie, and this one's better. So I did I have to go five stars on this. Five stars for Eric Holmes. High praise from you, sir. Bruce, do you re- are you reaching that level, that Eric Holmes level? Yeah, I'm five stars too. 
Okay. Simple. Five stars for both for Pinocchio. And I, I, I think, I think maybe Eric and Bruce are giving me these, they should be giving me mean eyes for, for making fun of the shape of water with <laughs> calling it a fish movie. How dare I call it Fisherman's Wharf? So anyways, it's currently streaming on Netflix. I have to see Pinocchio and I should give, I actually, Bruce, was I a little bit mean last year on Nightmare Alley as well, saying that it's a, I liked the first half over in the circus and the carnival and the second half in the city felt really hollow? Do you, do you think I was really off base with my assessment? Do you think I need to watch uh, it again? I was, I was kind of with you. I didn't, I didn't hate it, but it wasn't, it didn't blow me away. Like this is, this is much more impressive. I think all the way around, I was like three stars or three and a half. I think I forget, but on Nightmare Alley, it was, it was okay. Okay. It'll be very interesting to see what Eric Holmes, well, I don't know. If I, I can't guarantee that Eric Holmes is going to see Nightmare Alley by next week because he and Bruce, I was going to say me too, but I, I, I lie. I, I pretend I watch these movies. Bruce and Eric are doing all the work, but Eric and Bruce they have to see at least three or four movies next week, along with Anderson. Anderson has to see the one, which is a movie called Living. But Eric, if you do see Nightmare Alley, get back to us next week on the Rewind and tell us if this movie is, yeah, if, if it's I, really, I, really I, good. I, I probably should bring up uh, Banshees of Inisherin next week too. If you guys haven't seen that one, check Okay. It, it, I, I think you guys would like that, but uh, I'm not going to review it this week. Maybe we'll do it next week, um, but it, it's on HBO Max. Check it out. The movie's really good. Okay. Very, very good. And that is the review of Pinocchio currently, as we speak, streaming on Netflix. Next up is another movie called The Almond and The Seahorse. It's in theaters and everywhere you rent movies on Friday. How do I start with this movie? It centers on two couples. Okay. And each couple, there is a link between both couples, okay? One person from each subset is struggling with, I don't even, traumatic brain injury. So there's one there, one couple, uh, there's Charlotte Gainsbourg and another actress, I have to look her up. She, that other actress, she is a, a former cellist, but she, from a traumatic brain injury, she has um, short-term and long-term memory loss. And it's been going, it's been, in, it's basically been affecting her for the last 15 years. And Charlotte Gainsbourg plays the long suffering soulmate of this woman. And she's had to take care of her. She's basically a full-time caregiver to her lover. And the other set is Selen Jones. He's this guy who's had this traumatic brain injury for a while as well. And again, he suffers from short-term and long-term memory loss. His wife is played by Rebel Wilson and Rebel Wilson plays an architect who has had to sacrifice her career being a part-time caregiver to her husband. By the way, Selen Jones is also a co-director of this movie, which is based on a stage play. So that is the premise of this movie. You're thinking, ooh, traumatic brain injury, two sets of couples, big part of it centers on a sort of, how would you call it, like a hospital or a facility where that takes care of them. So there's scenes within both of their homes. There are sequences within the institution or facility where they're being treated and you're thinking this might be a disease of the week film with higher with a higher pedigree of actors and maybe better cinematographer. Does this movie stay as like a disease of the week kind of situation, or does it rise above? Does, does it rise above that kind of genre, Bruce? What do you think of this movie? Uh, no, it does not rise above that genre. It stays right in that genre. Uh, <laughs> I did not think this was a very good movie. For my taste, uh, it started out somewhat promising. You know, we were getting to know both car- both couples. We're trying to kind of get... Because they kind of uh, creep you into what's going on. Like, you slowly discover what's happening. So, at first, you're not sure what's going on. So, that all that part's a little interesting because it's it's allowing you to 
kind of unravel the actual situation you've got. And then you see them going to, you said you called it a facility or it's kind of like, um, like an old age home or something, but instead they're, they're specifically designed around people that have traumatic brain injury. And depending on where they're at in their, I guess their journey with traumatic, traumatic brain injury, they may stay there an extended time, or they may just come in and out of that place. Uh, and I guess that was interesting enough as well. The tone was kind of odd. A lot of times the music was kind of jaunty, uh, especially in the first half of it, almost like it was trying to be somewhat comedic or something, but it wasn't played for comedy. So that confused me a little bit. And it was pretty, pretty by the numbers, I think for the first, I don't know, half or two thirds. Uh, and then it takes a turn in the final third that I thought was absolutely a misfire. Um, when two of our characters that weren't together are kind of brought together, um, by circumstances. And I thought that just absolutely didn't work. Uh, and it was almost thrown away as quick as it was brought on. Um, it went from kind of just middle of the road mm, drama teetering into melodrama. And the final third, I thought it just fully dove into the melodrama pool and my eyes just rolled all the way around. And by the time the little final uh, song came on, I was just, I was fully out. <laughs> the only thing I would bring up is uh, I thought Selden Jones, uh, co-director and actor as Joe, I thought he was kind of the standout of all of the actors. And of course, um, Rebel Wilson's not so much known for dramatic acting, but, you know, Charlotte Gainsbourg, of course, is. But I was down with Selden Jones more than anybody in this. I would have actually just followed his story and let it be his story. But it wasn't, so not the movie I'm reviewing. For me, it was uh, no no win. And let's just say this about Charlotte Gainsbourg, though. There's no one cooler in cinema than Charlotte Gainsbourg. So for me, watching her, being Charlotte Gainsbourg in a role was added value for me. So, But that's a bias. Now, I'm going to get to my review in a second. And Eric Holmes, do you echo Bruce's thoughts regarding it does not go above the melodramatic pace. It just sinks down to the morass of the whole situation. Well, your uh, first of all, uh, Charlotte, uh, Gaines, Charlotte Gainsbourg's uh, partner uh, is Gwen played by Trine Deerholm. Yes. Thank so, you. I thank looked you. that one up. Um, thank you. I, I I did like the, 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 the four main leads in this. Um, it, the, the stuff I liked about it was the I'd love 50 first dates. And then at the very, one of the best parts of 50 first dates is towards the end where you start to see what her um, memory loss means, especially at the very end where they cut to years ahead and she's like waking up and just, it's like, is this really haunting and freaky? Like, Oh, what's that like to, what's that like to uh, not have a pass? Um, uh, Trying Deer Holmes character, actually Gwen, there's a scene where she looks in the mirror and She's freaking out. She looks in the mirror and just all of a sudden it just watches over what happened. Who is mm -hmm. that person? Like, um, so I think like the stuff that they do in 50 first dates, because the, the, these two have a lot in common. I think this kind of goes places, um, kind of takes what the ending of 50 first dates and kind of like leans on that a little more, goes more places than 50 first dates did. That said, I think everything Bruce said is also correct. <laughs> um, it's kind of, uh, I, I don't know that. I, yeah, Selling Jones um, is Joe. He's really good. I I'm mean, having just, a feeling I, that you kind of like this movie, though. The way you're, I, I, I like some of it, but it, it's like one of those things. It's like you're almost there, but you, you're you're held back by schmaltz. I think 
Mm. This feels like this feels like Steven Spielberg directed it, and not the good Steven Spielberg. Like you just you just insult. I don't get. Okay, Eric. I I don't understand the. I I have a problem with you. No, no. You just insulted Anderson Cowan's favorite director, and I I will not stand for that. I will not stand for that. (laughs) Steven Spielberg is Anderson Cowan's zero. Is it not? Is that correct, Eric? Or am I lying through my teeth? What do you think? Am I I lying? No, no, he's great. But (laughs) Steven Spielberg sometimes he. Sometimes, like, uh, or, or just kidding, know, certain, Anderson. Go ahead. Certain people they they don't understand the the stuff they have in front of them, and I think right. this is an example of that. Where kind of like um, how I take you and you and Bruce for granted, Eric. Kind of like that. No, you you use, use us well. I think <laughs> <laughs> he you uses me all the time. Sorry, <laughs> uses <laughs> me. Those. But like, there right. there's a right. uh, there's a great movie in here. And I, and there's certain parts where they almost got there, but they didn't quite do it. And I think a lot of it is because they were kind of leaning too much on schmaltz and, uh, without like earning, without earning it, you know? Okay. Okay. Look, I asked Bruce this morning before we started recording, Bruce, is the almond and the seahorse worth watching? I messaged you, Bruce, and you mm-hmm. did not give me an answer. And if I, cause Bruce knows if he said, if he gave me that review that he gave me right now, he knew that I was not going to see this movie. So when and you Bruce... or you have to watch it too. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> so I had to watch the Almond and the Seahorse as well. I knew exactly when you didn't respond that your thoughts on this movie. And I go, okay, I I was gonna say I'm gonna take one for the team. No, this is just me actually doing my freaking job as a as a critic. Okay, so I did. I had to see this movie. Ninety six minutes. The Almond and the Seahorse. Eric mentioned the four main actors were good in this movie. Totally agree. Charlotte Gainsbourg, Rebel Wilson, Trying to, Trying home, and Selen Jones, who again co-directs this, like Bruce was saying, with Tom Stern. All really good performances. To Bruce's point, there is a moment where Selen Jones's character Joe. It's about a five-minute moment where Joe is trying is by himself in I guess their house or their apartment. And he's losing all his bearings. And he has a little note and notebook that is given to him by his by his wife, Sarah, played by Rebel Wilson. And all he has to do is follow those instructions and take the pill. And you get five minutes of that. And it's that, to me, is pure cinema. That just blew me away because, A, it's a great performance by Selen Jones in that moment. And you are worried. It feels like it, that – we're talking about Schmaltzy. Yes, there are – certain times of saccharine schmaltz driven moments in this movie but that five minute sequence it's almost worth it just to get through the rest of this movie okay (laughs) i was blown away by that moment and i i was really like eric i really wanted this to be a good movie there's also mira saya she plays dr falmer she at the beginning she has sort of a meaty role she's the overhead of this facility and then maybe about 70 percent in you never hear from her again. And there are a lot of plot holes that this movie has. There is a random youth in the facility. You see her through the window and you're thinking, oh, maybe that might be some kind of plot exploration. Nope. It probably a deleted scene. There are so many different pitfalls to this movie. All that said, I mentioned Charlotte Gainsbourg. Charlotte Gainsbourg in a cool leather jacket looking really cool like she listens to Iggy Pop all day. I will watch that forever. She's she's awesome in this movie. And I think the, the performances are really good. 
There are some saccharine moments, but overall, A, the value added part of traumatic brain injury. I know you can say that about most disease of the week kind of situations, melodrama, like you're saying, Bruce, but it got me thinking about brain injury and the importance of it. So that's on an educational tip, explores that. And because of that Selen Jones piece, Eric, you mentioned that part where Gwen played by Trin Derholm, she's looking herself at herself in the mirror. There are some sequences in this movie that work. And all of these little pieces make me actually lightly and mild, I know Bruce, mildly recommend this movie. And guess what? This is my honest reaction. Guess, I'm not I'm not interviewing anyone from this movie. This is, I could tell you there are some good things to be had from the almond and the seahorse. So with even with all its flaws, I'm giving the I can't believe I'm saying this. I was ready to go to bat and brick a bat this movie to death and give it a one or two star rating. But because of what I just said, the Almond, the seahorse for me gets three out of five stars. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Bruce, I'm sorry. It's already, <laughs> it's already putting one. a four on there. Already put down four in the Google. Oh, you, you put four? You put, oh, no, no. Although you, I talked to, I talked to, oh, wow. That's so hilarious. Um, yeah. Thank, thank you, Eric, for, for, uh, yeah, good. I'm glad you put it back on three. Bruce, let's get to your rating on the almond, the seahorse. Um, I was promised almonds and I was promised seahorses. I got neither. Two stars. <laughs> How long were you waiting for that final? It's very funny. Bruce Perky, Eric Holmes, thank you for the, doing the ratings. What is your rating on the almond, the seahorse? Um, yeah, I'm probably between both. Yeah, I'll probably go two and a half on this. Fair. Um. Yeah, it's just uh, there's so many things like they almost there there was a couple things they do really well, and there's stuff where like it's almost there. Um, you mentioned uh, Mira Sale as Doctor yeah. Falmer, yeah. like I I did not like her character. Like I oh. and I think and I think that's another example of kind of where this movie fails is because if we're gonna explore this disease, let's explore the disease, you know. And I don't know that her character was. I, I didn't buy her as realistic. I think actually, yeah. I think Eric, your rating is the most frustrating out of all of us because you're the one who's the most frustrated. Bruce has his two. Yeah. I have my three. You're just like right there. You just wanted it to be yeah. actually good. Yeah. I kind of, I, I kind of almost want to read because I guess what was this based on a, a play? Yeah. Based on a stage play. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to read the screenplay for that and then uh, read the screenplay for the movie and just kind of compare them. See, like, I mean, maybe the play is just as frustrating as this is to me. I have no idea how well the adaptation is. Um, But yeah, there's, there's things that are like, you're almost there. You're almost there. And it, it, it it really sucks. that I can't give this a better rating or that I didn't like it more. Cause I think if they were just kind of buckled down and focused in on a couple other things, this could have easily been like four, five-star movie but it, as it is it's just not there yet you're almost there i've heard that too many times in my life bruce i have it i have a, <laughs> it's a family show greg family show family show hashtag family show bruce at the, i have an idea at the end of the at the end of the week a way you and i can actually just skirt the last week of december and not do an episode we'll have eric holmes read this do a, a live reading of the stage play of the almond and the seahorse have him rewatch that have him do a review of what was that movie with Guillermo del Toro, Nightmare Alley? And then we'll have him do Bergman Island again. What do you think? Bergman Island again, too. Uh, why doesn't he <laughs> read this? <laughs> so much. And then we're going to play you, of this gonna... with uh, horse puppets. How do that? Do horse, horse puppets. Uh, horse puppets. And then uh, for the recommends, we'll give you Drive My Car, Eric. What are you, you okay with that? You're, you're okay with a, a solo? I, of all of them, I'd much rather watch Drive My Car. Like that. 
<laughs> the, the other stuff you mentioned was like, uh, well, actually, I don't know cow. about memory. He's watching cow seen. again too. The cow, oh, right, cow, cow. That's... Guys, this is a family show, and I will start cussing. <laughs> Bring cow up again. Okay. By the way, regarding COW, we won't mention that out of respect to Eric Holmes. I don't know oh, what God. episode of Find Your Film that was, but I know oh. that there there was like a Mister Kurtz, the horror, the horror from Eric Holmes as he saw me and Bruce give glowing reviews to Andrew Arnold's cow, and he's just all he had to do we could see him just melt or seethe with just confusion yes eric holmes so we covered cow on, on finder on, film we didn't yes. cover that did did you and anderson you didn't cover it on cinematics i don't think you know what i i have a feeling that anderson did not like that movie if i recall oh yeah. okay then if he covered it never mind i, I was gonna say for any listeners who have not heard finder film have not heard us cover cow it's a documentary uh shot on high eight videotape <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's uh just follows the cow around and then they shoot the cow it's the, the most useless two hours of your life ever okay so that is not a, a but, movie but, it's, but it's really brilliant and you should check it out because it means things <laughs> it means something okay very good uh, hey here's the good news okay at least pinocchio we have a good recommendation this week for you guys for netflix the almond and the seahorse I'm slightly recommending it, much to the chagrin of Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes. Remember, they're not recommending The Almond and the Seahorse, which is in theaters and everywhere you rent movies this Friday, December what? Bruce, December 16th. Am I correct on that? December 16th. Now, also out on December 16th in theaters, digital and on demand, is a movie screening link, a movie that I did not actually have Eric and Bruce watch. And it's a movie, and I do, I am remiss about this decision because this movie called High Heat turned out to be actually pretty good. I'm giving it three and a half out of five. You will hear it on the Cinematics podcast feed later on this week, maybe Friday at the latest Saturday. I interview the director of High Heat, director Zach Golden, act, actor Chris Diamantopoulos, and actress Caitlin Doubleday. They actually play a, a like a hit man and hit woman couple like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They're not the lead actors. The lead actress is Olga Kurilenko. She plays a chef opening night in her exclusive restaurant, five-star restaurant. And her husband is this really charming guy, elderly man, but he's friggin' Sonny Crockett, a.k.a. Nash Bridges, played by Don Johnson, is Olga Kurilenko's husband. So the chef has an older husband, but the older husband is the always hot Don Johnson. The problem is Don Johnson's character owes a lot of money to a, to a gangland boss, played by wrestler Diamond Dallas Page. And what happens is on opening night that this chef, although it's a success, uh, everyone loves their food that her restaurant, her new restaurant might be in danger along with her life and her husband's life might be in danger because Diamond Dallas Page, who plays a mob boss, he's out to collect some money. So that is the premise of High Heat. Lots of action. Indie film shot in 15 days. Really, really enjoyed this film. I don't know. I, I have a feeling I'm not going to give Bruce Perky a screening link, but Eric Holmes, are you interested in High Heat? Olga Kurilenko, are you Don Johnson, DDP? Do you remember Feel the Bang, Diamond Dallas Page? I was, I feel kind of bad that I did not give you a link for that. Is that something that you might I mean, be interested in? It, it yeah? can't be the worst thing Don Johnson's ever been in. Oh, okay. And I mean, remember Ryan a couple Dallas years back? Page is in it too. Yeah, remember yeah. a couple years? Remember a couple years? What? What was it? You or, or was it you, Eric? Or was it Bruce? Who did a boy and his dog? Who who did that on? Oh, Fight that was me. That was uh, based on yeah. Harlan Nelson book. So obviously, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring that. You might have a little bit of uh, I'm getting sentimental over you moment with uh, with Don Johnson. So maybe I I might yeah. I don't know. I can get you. High. But you know what? You have so many movies to watch anyway. But yeah. anyways, 
High Heat interviews will be on our Cinemax podcast feed later this week. I'll do a mini, a little bit more talk of the, about those movies. But yeah, maybe maybe if I didn't have to watch Cow again, then I, I might. Very good. I, I, I need to. Bum bum. Very good, Eric Holmes. Now, finally, as far as the featured films also coming out this Friday in theaters and on Shutter, I cannot believe Bruce, this was not on your Shutter list because. It just didn't show up on their email boxes. My bad for this. It's a movie called The Apology. It's directed by Allison Starlock. And it also, it stars, it's headlined by Anna Gunn and Linus Roach. Anna Gunn plays this woman who lives in sort, some sort of log cabin or cabin out in the middle of the woods. It's snowy. It's Christmas time. And knocking on the door, she opens it. And it's her former, uh, I believe, uh, brother-in-law. Brother-in-law played by Linus Roach. And he has something to tell her. That's why the movie is called The Apology. Years ago, Anna Gunn, she she plays a woman who is still looking for her missing daughter. I, I guess missing for like the last maybe 15 or 16 years or something. And basically a lot of this movie, even though co-stars Janine Garofalo, Janine Garofalo, we haven't heard that name in a while. She's very good in this movie in a short role. It ends up being a two-hander between Anna Gunn and Linus Roach. If you're a fan of Anna Gunn from, what is that, what is that popular series she was in, Breaking Bad? You loved her in Breaking Bad. She, she does a really good job as the woman who is might be in peril, or maybe the other guy played by Linus Roach is the one in peril. You don't know. It's a mystery. It's a thriller. It might be a horror thing. There might be some kind of weird things going on, but it's a very well-acted film. And Allison Starlock, I got to interview her late last week for The Apology. She talks about, a lot about where the movie was shot, how she was a, able to actually make an indie film, how Shudder got involved. She actually... I asked her the Shutter Show question, Bruce. You're gonna really enjoy it. I don't know if you've actually listened to the interview because you've you haven't seen the apology yet. And actually, in that interview is a spoiler discussion of it as well, which I'm gonna put for our Cinematics Patreon listeners. But here is my interview with Allison Starlock for the movie The Apology. Again, it's on Shutter. Some really great filmmaking stuff. And Eric Holmes and Bruce, your ears are gonna perk up because you haven't listened to the interview. She also talks about her love. For her, one of her favorite directors, Sidney Lumet. It's a great, great interview. Sweet. It's about, yeah, very, very sweet. Eric Holmes. It's about nine or ten minutes. Check it out. Most importantly, check out the apology. And here's the interview. Hey guys, what's up? Just wanted to say that the interview with Allison Starlock. It ends. I I forgot to actually record my opening question to her for this interview for the apology. So this actual soundbite will, this actual interview comes in a little bit mid clip, like maybe about 20 seconds in. So my first question to Alison Starlock for the apology was how in the world was she able to get Linus Roach and a gun and Janine Garofalo for the apology? And she talks about sending out cover letters to I believe either the representation and the actors and just to talk to them to get them into this role. Because here's the thing. She, even though she's directed her share of shorts, this is her first feature length film. And to actually get talents like Anna Gunn and Lana Schroch and Janine Garofalo was a huge get. And it was good because I really enjoyed the apology. So we'd love to hear what you think of, of this movie as well. But anyways, here's the interview and here is Locke talking about the first question, which is how she was able to cast these actors in her film. All right, guys, bye. Had connections to some agencies so they could talk directly to the agents and talk about whether or not their care, their clients would be open to doing, um, you know, a first time writer director's dark Christmas tale. And so then I would write, I wrote them each cover letters to sort of say, here's who I am. Here's the backstory sort of of who I am and where this film came from what I would, you know, why I think you're great for the part. 
what my uh, general vision of it is apart from what's obvious on the page. So on the page, it might have seemed a little bit more straight thriller, but I'm actually looking to do something that's a little bit more uh, genre blending than that, a little bit more uh, horror, a little bit more sort of Bergman drama kind of kind of elements. And uh, and so then they read the script and read the letter and and agreed to meet with me. And we had a with Anna and Linus, I had a Zoom and it was like a right away love fest situation with both of them. And then Janine just straight up called me up from my cover letter number and just called me on a Friday night. Hello, Allison. This is Janine Groffalo. <laughs> that was just the greatest experience. She was just like, yeah, she immediately was like talking shooting dates. I was like, wait, does that mean she's saying yes? You know, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. So I, I was on <laughs> that. That would just freak me out. Were you? It did. did. You, yeah, it did. <laughs> In the best way, in the best way, because you're like one of those moments where you're like, wait, am I actually living the dream in this moment? Yes, I am. Yes, you are. You also dropped two two words, Bergman drama, Bergman drama within a genre five tale. And I thought that was a very interesting hybrid. What's the key Thank to you. do? Yeah. What's the key to doing that, especially when for most of the film, it's a two hander yeah. and you have to really draw us in as well. So I think one of the underrated parts of your film is creating a visual language for mm-hmm. the movie. What was the key for you in just developing that and not making it just cut here, cut there and static? Oh yes. Well, I have uh I have a tremendous team behind me as any first-time feature director wants to have. You know, I had re- a really smart creative bunch of people. But excuse me, uh, but especially um, my DP, Jack Caswell, with regard to the visual language, he and I just had so much fun. I had initially like I pulled tons of images and was trying to figure out how to make them. And I had storyboarded and shot listed all this stuff on my own. And then um, I started working with my creative producer, uh, Kim Sherman, and she would kind of say to me, like, well, this this using these images might be a little confusing to the to your crew. But if you kind of show them this side of it. And so I brought all of these ideas to Jack Caswell and we I literally came over to his house. We were sitting in his living room and his like, you know, hanging out with his cats. And I would say, you know, this is my principal idea of what I would be of the progression of the visual language for the film. And he would help me kind of we formulated that together in that way, which was so meaningful and fun to do because I really wanted it to be very formalistic for the first half or so um, the idea that Jack kind of traps her in these tableaus, like she, you know, he wants her in the sort of formalistic two shot at a table and we're going to have it out, you know, and then let it get more kinetic and, and, uh, and a little messier as, as we went until those final more peacefulish bits <laughs> of the film. Yeah. What was your just initial motivation for penning the script? Did you come from a place growing up as a cinephile? Were you a fan of this genre or did you start off with the human element where you said, okay, so I'm going to talk about a human drama about people and and tragedy and grief. And then I'm going to subvert the genres that I love. How did you go about as far as crafting your story? That's a smart question. I I'd say um I I have always been more of a fan of sort of art film independent film type character stuff. And then about maybe 15 20 years ago I started to my writing started to change into being obsessed with horror films. Uh, but I still did, never wanted to let go of that other side of things. Like for me the best ones are 
you know, there's certainly some horror movies like Demons where it's like, it's just a good time, but it's not, it's not really that. It's really just pushing things to be as kind of silly and extreme as possible. But for me, the interesting things are the, the, the safety that horror gives you of being able to explore all of this incredible darkness and all of these big issues that we deal with in life, but in this sort of a uh, uh, safe place, I guess, in a way. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, without giving too much away, the the title, The Apology, can mean so many different things. And yeah. can you speak to the fact that your film can be enjoyed as a genre piece, but yeah. when someone digs a little bit deeper, it's also about so many different things about either, uh, you know, retribution versus forgiveness and no matter what befalls you, uh, as it yeah. befalls many of us, trauma does. It, yeah. It's very important to ultimately engage or re-engage in the world as well. So can you just speak to those deeper aspects of your film? Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it's always important to look at every little moment of your story and think, is this human? Is this grounded? Is this something that we can, we can, um, that feels in universal, you know? And, and I always think that the specificity makes things more universal. So that's why I was like the, all the details of the house using so much of my own personal experience in it, even though the specifics of, their story is obviously not what I've experienced, thank goodness. But it's like, but trying to combine those two things is is so important. I think it can, but I really wanted to make a movie that would be rewarding for audiences, whichever direction they're coming at it from. If you're a horror fan, this is, you know, this is something that has a lot of meat on its bones, has a lot of humanity in it. If you're coming at it from kind of a more of a drama fan or just a sort of you know, we love all kinds of movies fan that you're going into a dark place, but it's, but you are still, it's, it's a thoughtful dark place. It's not, uh, it's not as much as I love a lot of movies that are darkness for sport. It's not that. I love this location. And while I'm watching the location, I'm thinking it's so awesome. It's out in the middle of nowhere, it seems. And where did you shoot it? Was it all CGI? Was it all in my dream? What how did you find whatever this was it on the back line? I don't know. Can you tell what what was it? So yes, I feel really proud of the way that that um that all of us pulled together to make this really specific world of this film, you know. Uh this house is a beautiful house in Los Angeles, and it's uh, actually a block from where I lived for a while with my daughter, which is pretty wild. And but it had so much beautiful character. And so we were like, okay, this is worth it. And then we're going to figure out our snowstorm and our exteriors in Wisconsin. So we shot it in Wisconsin, even though in my mind, the film is set in Minnesota, but I didn't want to be super obvious about that. There's a few little hints. If you're a real, if you're a Minnesotan, you might know like the candy box she gets is from a company in Minnesota, you know, stuff like that, that like just little, little things like that, because I did kind of want it to feel sort of fairy tale-ish, isolated, um and therefore less about the specifics of the place more about the experience of what it's like in that house you know and and the isolation that that she feels and also of course there's the genre necessity of isolation if you're going to have people have it out for two hours yeah since you're an hour and a half (laughs) yeah an hour and a half since you're since you're in the know and you're a filmmaker and i hate i hate to pimp it out but I, I'm just wondering why does Shutter have so many great movies in its library? Because I yeah. before it, it started, I was complaining about oh, there's there there needs to be more genre films. Everything is a hundred million dollars or twenty bucks. I, I want something that's real and true. What what is it about Shutter from your 
POV. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan of Shutter as well. When I found out when, you know, we were making the movie and then after we were finished, I found out we were going to be on Shutter and I literally burst into tears because I just love it. I'm like a huge Joe Bob fan. Like I love uh, their catalog is incredible. I don't know what it is. And I, but it's a good question. And I would love to haunt the people at Shutter so I can understand their process because I want to know. But I feel really honored, truly, truly honored to be a part of that catalog. But it does seem, it feels to me, that it's sort of like a Criterion thing too, right? Criterion and Shutter for me are the two like pinnacles of like taste. You know, it may not be your specific bag, but they are going to be wall-to-wall bangers. And whether or not they're your bag, there's something interesting in each of those movies and something that you've probably, you know, not really seen in that way before. Like they have another really great one that I just saw recently, A Wounded Fawn that just came out that I really enjoyed. Great film. It's like constant. It's like, it's like, it's just Christmas every day. You know, there's just so many lovely gifts that Shudder is giving us. And it'll be Christmas next week for your film. Uh, you know, I, or, or, uh, yeah, yeah, next week, next week. That's when we're reviewing your, yeah, your film December 16th, week. we come out. Yeah. So, so you have a week. Are you, are you, what are you, what are you feeling right now? A lot of nervousness. Are you, or relief because a lot of the work may be done or maybe, maybe the work continues. I don't know. So how you're feeling. Yeah. Things. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, it's nice because the work that I'm doing now feel, it feels like a celebration round. It feels like I'm online now. I just started posting these worshipful posts of my crew and cast uh, and, and getting to talk to lovely, interesting people like yourself about the movie and about movies in general. It's just, it feels very rewarding because it is so hard to make a film. We worked so hard on this. It was not an easy go in any, pretty much any way. And so it, it's, it just feels really nice. It feels very exciting. I'm not really nervous at all, but, but I feel like over the course of life, whenever, I feel really confident in decision, like my wedding day, I wasn't nervous. Cause I was like, of course, I'm going to marry John. He's awesome. He's my person. Of course, my film is coming out and we're going to just enjoy it. We're going to have fun talking to people. I hope folks write me online, tell me what they thought. I'd love to keep that discussion going. It's, it's very exciting. Final question is probably the, the hardest question is, you know, right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all time favorite films? And what is it about the specific film that continues to resonate and inspire you today? Well, for fun, I'll talk about one that's not a horror film then. Um, Running on Empty, which is a Sidney Lumet movie from the 80s with uh, River Phoenix and Christine Lottie and Judd Hirsch. And uh, that movie was one of the first movies that I saw where I thought, that looks like my family. Uh, we were not on the run, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's like just that I grew up in a very progressive family. We were very like eccentric in the way that we related to each other, but there was a big bunch of love. But I always felt I then felt it was it was it was it was just a very a very unique family and then to see that on screen uh and and the way that they honored um each member of that family's specific feelings about this complicated situation i just loved it and i just feel like it's one of those like a lot of people know of it but they don't talk about it much and so whenever i get the opportunity i'm like how about running on empty guys like one of these days like wouldn't it be great if that was on the criterion collection or you know, something like that. If that's it plays at the new Beverly cinema, something like that, you know? Awesome. And favorites. as you're leaving 30 seconds, just can you learn something from, can we learn something from Lumet as a director now? Because he seems like a, a director who always put the story and the craft before his own visual flair or personality, uh, which I appreciate it. So to your point. Oh, you're a Lumet fan and a man after my own heart. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I, I loved his book. I love his films. Uh, making movies. If you haven't read that, y'all check it out. It, I love, I loved his emphasis on 
um, trusting your actors on taking them moment to moment on really understanding each part on rehearsing and discussing as much as you can beforehand. Even, you know, in indie films, we didn't have time. We had two days with them to rehearse in the space before we actually started shooting. And that was an incredible gift, but mostly what we had were zoom conversations. And I just kept thinking about Mr. Lumet and, and the lessons that I learned from his work and from his book. So yeah. Loved you. I honestly loved your film very much. So uh, c- congratulations and, you know, get ready for those awesome shutter scores next week. So thank you so much, Greg. Have a nice day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. We're back. That is the interview with Alison Starlock. We have a bunch of recommends. Let's start off with Eric Holmes. This was a secret that you had, Eric Holmes. I ruined your secret by actually uploading the interview you had with Casper Kelly a day later. But let's get your thoughts and Bruce's thoughts on the HBO Max release, Adult Swim Yule Log. Yeah, uh, it's uh, also called uh, The Fireplace. Um, the the weird thing about this, I got the IMDb up now. When I interviewed Casper Kelly, this was not on IMDb. This wasn't anywhere to be found online. They, they like did a really great job just hiding this movie. Um, I think they, I think they had like a press release or something that they would be doing a eulog after the Rick and Morty thing, but no one said what it was. And, uh, we talk about it on my, uh, interview with Casper Kelly. Um, and it's been, by the time this comes out, it's been out for a week. So hopefully people know what it is by now. Um, but if you don't, um, just go, just, uh, it's on HBO Max. Just go check out Adult Swim eulog real quick and come back. Um, um, for anyone that caught it on the day after watching Rick and Morty, I'd really be interested to hear what people's reactions are to this. Cause this is a very strange. And, and so Casper Kelly, for people that don't know, he uh, wrote the cheddar goblin sequence and Mandy and also wrote and directed too many cooks. Uh, if you've seen, uh, that viral video on YouTube, if not go check out Mandy and then watch too many cooks. And then come back here. I'm sorry I'm giving you so much homework before the review, but I just have to. <laughs> but has, uh, a ch- this- has a cheddar goblin shown up in your address yet, Eric Holmes? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> My mom <laughs> actually watched the video and she says, Greg, come here. Look, look at this. And <laughs> she showed me the cheddar goblin sequence. She got a kick out of it, by the way. <laughs> but uh yeah, this is uh this is just um much like cheddar goblin and much like too many cooks. Um well, not that they start off as a Yule log. It just starts off as a regular Yule log. And then a couple of minutes later, start hearing noises in the background. And then you start, start seeing people in the foreground. Then the camera pans back. And then it kind of acts like a stage play. And then when the camera finally breaks away and starts going around. Basically, you start off watching a Yule log. And now you're watching a live action horror movie on Christmas. And that, that's the idea of this. And much like Too Many Cooks and Cheddar Goblin, this thing goes... It just keeps getting crazier and weirder as it goes along, um, as uh, you might expect from someone like Casper Kelly. Um, Is it good for you? Did you like it? uh, I could spoil stuff for you, but it's like those kind of spoil stuffs where I can tell you exactly what what happens, and you would listen to it and go, I don't understand what you're saying. I'd be like, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Overall, though, would you recommend it as just sort of a unique viewing experience? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I I kind of wish, and I I would have never saw this on my own just because I don't usually watch Adult Swim. Um, but I I oh man, how how cool would that have been just to watch it and then just have this unplay in front of you, unfold in front of you 
like, and you had no idea, like the, just that experience. And I hope some people have that experience. I would, I would love to hear about it if they did. Um, but this has a lot of similar DNA to gremlins too, where it just starts off as a thing. And as it goes along, it just gets weirder and weirder and crazier and weirder. And the, the, the more insane it gets, the more I'm loving it. And then just when you think it couldn't get any weirder, then aliens show up. <laughs> okay. so yeah th- this is definitely worth watching and uh yeah check it out check it out check it out bruce perky or not yeah absolutely i agree uh I, if you're into that kind of weird absurd you know kind of surreal goofy horror but also it has a very it has a smart edge to it, to it and it knows what it's doing uh i want to underline what eric said because i think people that start watching this might think it's going to stay in locked in position and just underlined that at about, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes, maybe at the latest, it will fully break free from the locked in point of view. So if that starts to get on people's nerves, uh, just stay with it because it will change. Uh, There's a lot of things in here I really, really loved that I won't spoil. There's one thing I'll kind of just mention uh, what, I'm not going to mention what happens, but there's a point in this that is kind of rivals the Black Lodge from David Lynch as far as um, an odd alternate setting, I will just say that. Yeah. And I I loved those sequences in this movie. Um, there's also some point of view from the killer. I'll leave it at that as well, which is pretty great because you don't know what the killer is until you see it. And when you see what the killer is, you'll be like, oh, oh that's amazing. That's great. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is a lot of fun. And it pokes a lot of fun at also at kind of hipster culture too. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of making fun of hipster culture and uh along with variety of different time periods. I'll just leave it at that too. Yeah, this is this is way more um I guess it's this is way more uh interesting than it had to be. This could have done the same thing in a very generic way, but it doesn't. So I, I liked it quite a bit. Okay. So basically when people are looking at Adult Swim Mule Log on HBO Max, you're basically saying it's a lot more than a lark. It's a lot more than that. It is. Yeah, it is a lot more than Lark. That's the thing. It could have been like, oh, we're making a horror movie that's also a Yule Log, and it could have been done in a really straightforward way, and this is not. Very, very good. Eric Holmes, your rating on Adult Swim Yule Log, streaming on HBO Max. Well, this is the pimento cheese spread of horror movies. <laughs> yes. um, I, I feel bad giving it anything less than Pinocchio, um, but at the same time, I think there was a reason we invented three-star banger and I'm debating between three star banger and six point nine star banger, <laughs> but I, I, I think I, I think three star bangers uh, fair for this because the people that are going to be into it are going to be like, oh my god, this is so awesome! I love this. And then there's going to be people putting it on, which I'm guessing they're probably trolling by doing this. It might put on a Yule log, and then just be completely offended by what follows. And you know, finding out later that it's not a log on fire uh, with Christmas music. So yeah, the, this is be three star banger. Like if you're in for this thing, you're gonna love it. Um, and if you got tricked by it, um, well, I mean, first of all, you should know what Adult Swim is, but um, yeah, three all star right. banger. Three star banger. Remember, three star banger is not three stars. Three star banger is a very, very positive, positive review. It's more than a mild recommendation. It's a total recommendation because it's a when when you hear it, three star banger, it's when the movie is in that genre and it really excels in what it's doing. Bruce, what is your rating? 
I will also go three star banger. And I just want to give kudos to Eric because as I finished this movie and I heard the closing song over the closing credits, I knew who the voice was. And I said, oh my gosh, because I waited to watch his interview till after I watched this movie. And I was like, I hope Eric asked about that person who's singing that, those closing credit songs. And uh, he did. So yay. Thank you. Because <laughs> I wanted to know that answer. <laughs> yeah. And if so if you want to listen to Eric's interview with Casper Kelly, the director behind Adult Swim, Yule Log, check out our cinematic, Cinematics podcast feed. It's yeah. available. It's up right um, now as we speak. Yes, sir. We we do get into spoilers on that, so I, I would definitely recommend watching Eulog before listening to the interview. Okay, yeah, very good, very good. On that, you can catch it there on the, the pod feed or on our Deepest Dream YouTube channel. Finally, we have oh Bruce, before we get to your box, you were you sent me some stuff earlier in the week on Cure. Is that something mm-hmm. that you're just going to tease for? Yeah, for, I'm just going to okay. tease it. Yeah, tell us. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, by now or soon, there will be a quick little uh, review and um, uh, physical media review as well. Spoiler-free review. I will not spoil it. So if you are worried about that, you can check it out. I think you're going to put it on probably on the Find Your Film feed, right? Yes, Find Your Film feed, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, this movie from 1997 called Cure. Uh, I will just give you my very, very quick thumbnail. And that is, first of all, I think both of you would probably really like this movie. to me, it's the third uh, leg of the stool or the uh, third part of the Holy Trinity for me of the uh, kind of psychological dr- uh, crime drama thriller movies from the 90s. You know, Memories of Murder films. and Mother? Is that in that trilogy? Oh, no. <laughs> well, Mother's from the thousands. Thousands, sure. my bad. <laughs> Memories of Murder is like from the, th- on the odds too. Yeah, you're right. My bad. So, but I would say Silence of the Lambs and Seven and this, and hardly anyone talks about this. Uh, but the people who love this really love it. And I even talk a little bit about, there's an interview on this Criterion uh, edition with the director of Drive My Car, because he was a student of this Kurosawa. But I'll leave it at that. Uh, check out my review. And, and if you if you have the uh, Criterion channel, you can watch this movie as well right now. If not, then you'll have to seek it out. Okay. And that Bruce's stuff will be, look, find your film's not dead. It's, we're still alive. It's been a couple of weeks since I posted, but thanks to Bruce, we're going to have some of his, his review of the, was it a DVD or Blu-ray you got on that, on the Cure? On, uh, it's on a Blu-ray. Cure. It's from a 4K transfer, but they do not have a 4K edition of this, as far as I know, available. Because this, this Blu-ray just came out this year. Okay. Um, from this release in 97. So I have a feeling uh, this is one of those movies that just isn't talked about enough. So it just keeps disappearing and then reappearing and disappearing. So like we talked about with physical media, certain things you might want to just pick them up because they might not be around. So look, uh, before we get to box, there's a movie called The Mystery of Rampo. Okay. It's a Japanese film, which I really loved. The score is like beautiful from Ennio Morricone. Okay. I tried looking, I was thinking, okay, well, I got Spotify. I can just look up Mystery of Rambo and I can just listen to the soundtrack. Wasn't there. I go, okay, well, I'll go to YouTube and they'll probably have the soundtrack because YouTube has everything, right? Well, Eric, you should have told me because you're an expert on YouTube. You, does YouTube have everything, Eric, or do you, does it leave you wanting? There are things that you can't find on YouTube, meaning like pop culture stuff, right? Have you been that, or do you eventually find everything that you're looking for? It, it on- doesn't have any, everything. Uh, there's like obviously certain movies that doesn't have. There's some movies that like someone will, um, like something like Cure, uh, the uh, Cure. Like I could see that being up there. Like yeah. someone would post it on there, and then it would get taken down like a week later once someone figured it out. 
Well, the um, mis- and then yeah, there's the- then there's other movies that are just kind of been up there, and no one found out or no one cares, so it remains up there. Oh, maybe because no one finds out or no one cares. But this movie, I did care about the mystery of Rampo. I actually saw it at the Sony Studios lot years ago, back in like '94. I was thinking, hey, because of hey, in the digital media, we have everything on YouTube. Everything we find, we can find it. Nope, I couldn't find any of the soundtrack. I only saw what there's actually one person has one sequence from Mystery of Rampo, and it actually has the music cue score that I wanted that I liked. But it's just one video out of you would think that's going long way, long winded way of saying there's a reason why whether it's. DVD, Blu-ray, or even something like CD or vinyl, it's so important to have the hard copy because you never know when that piece of content will be out of circulation. I had to learn the hard way today with the Mystery of Rampo. I'm going to actually have to rebuy the CD that I traded in years ago. Well, I checked on Amazon. That CD for the Mystery of Rampo is now $49.99 for a valid reason, right? Okay, so physical media is very, very important. Let's see what Bruce has to say about Cure. Check out our Find Your Film podcast. Speaking of which, there is a musical inter- is there a musical interlude? We we're not supposed to do musical interludes anymore. Bruce, what's going on right now? Are we doing I, the box? No music for the box. What's going on, Bruce? What, what's going on? <laughs> I think I hear I think I hear Mr. Pete Abeta knocking on the door, like like in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Pete, what do you got for us? Yo, Pete, drop that new beat. Remove your hand from the box. And you die. What's in the box? Pain. All right. Thank you, Pete. Pete, again, chairman of the board. Chair- oh, okay. Eric Holmes is rocking out to that new beat from Peter Beta, aka the chairman of the board of Middle Class Film Class. Very, they do weekly deep dives on movies and really love that podcast as well. Bruce, what do, what do you and Eric have for us for the box? Well, I have Brian and Charles, which I don't know if Eric watched it. Did you watch it, Eric? I saw half of it and didn't finish it this week. Because of all the oh. all the uh, the stuff going on. Oh no no no, Eric! So, you told, I didn't finish it because it sucked, right, Eric? I mean, I, I wasn't loving it. I'll, I'll let you know that. But I, I didn't <laughs> finish it. What, what kind of gentler nation, Eric? Holmes, was, I was trying to be nice about it. You weren't feeling Brian or Char- Charles. He was feel, feeling. No, I, got, I, I think I got like a half hour, forty minutes into it, and then like just this this weekend was nuts with the with the Stanley Hotel and all that stuff and. Um, I just never got back to it, at mm-hmm. least not before we we recorded. Okay. All right. Fair. So it's fitting this is the box movie because I think it was actually suggested by Pita Beta. Uh, and it's been one that's been kind of on my list since it came out. And I remember uh, Anderson actually quite liked this movie, uh, or a lot parts of it, at least. At least the parts where uh, Charles uh, Petrescu, I think is a member of his name, <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of is involved, which is a good chunk of this movie, I think. I think he said it was only a certain a small amount of it, but I think it's a lot of it. But um, yeah, so what is this movie? A basic kind of a nutshell. Oh, first of all, it's uh, directed by Jim Archer, which I believe you interviewed. Did you re- interview Jim Archer? Or did you interview the... Who did you interview from this? I, you know, here, here's the thing, Bruce. Don't ever ask me that question again, because I interview 500 people in a given year. I... I interviewed, I believe, Jim Archer and David Earl, or yes, yes I, that's right, no, or David Earl and Chris Hayward, one of those people. I just, I think, I interviewed the two leads in the movie. How's that? That's right. That's right. David so Earl and Chris Hayward. Yeah, <laughs> as he says, those are the two leads. 
respectively playing Brian the human and Charles the robot that he makes out of a washing machine and a mannequin head. <laughs> and I also interviewed the director, Jim Archer. I apologize. For Very good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. Well, we were all right. <laughs> we're all winners today. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, yeah, the, the main story, it's, it's, it's kind of like a mockumentary sort of, but it's pretty fast and loose with that. Like it doesn't adhere to the mockumentary style very uh, strictly. Like at there's certain points they call attention to that someone is filming this, but a lot of times it just kind of lets it be the movie. So to me, that wasn't too distracting. Uh, and it starts out and just uh, you, introduce, you introduce Brian, who's kind of the sad sack loner, nearly like he's nearly like someone who'd be homeless. But he's not. He has a house, almost like he might be a hoarder, but not quite. But he lives this kind of solitary lifestyle in the countryside, uh, making inventions. And I was kind of mentioning in some comment, I don't know if Eric saw it, that he's kind of like this ramshackled version of the dad in Gremlins, where he has a lot of great ideas, a lot of inventions that work pretty terribly, but are well-intentioned and maybe not the most uh, <laughs> thought out, but they're a lot of fun to see what he's trying to come up with. And it looks like the community that he lives in kind of just tolerates him because he's a nice guy. So they just, they kind of humor him, but they don't take him very seriously. And then one day he decides he can build a robot out of a washing machine and a, a mannequin head and some clothes. And uh, it seems to initially fail. And then all of a sudden it works and he's not even sure why it works exactly. And then he now has a friend and um, it seems like a pretty thin, thin premise for a 90 minute movie or about 90 minutes. It's not much more than that. I don't think. And surprisingly, I think they have a lot of narrative beats that allow it to be a full movie. A big choice they make early on, I think, which is really great was to make uh, Charles the robot start out almost like an infant and have an arc of learning, like a fast learning arc to like, you know, adolescence and so on, as far as his personality goes. And uh, I absolutely loved this movie. I was fully charmed by it. I can see it not being for everybody. To me, this is like what Wes Anderson wants to make, but oh. doesn't. <laughs> wow, Bruce. This is like Wes Anderson, instead of making this movie, Wes Anderson like adds about 50 more characters and a whole bunch more uh, fake whimsy and dollhouse structure instead of just having a couple characters and making them really fun to watch. But hey, that's me. I have a feeling for me, Brian and Charles got better as yes. the movie. Right. So it, you think it's going to be this really uh, one trick pony type of plot right. and Okay, you're talking to the camera. Okay, funny joke here, funny joke there, insert that. But the characters grow on you. They just, yep, it happens. I, I want. I actually, even though I did the interviews, I thought it, I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed Brandon Charles. Actually, it's a movie that I'm, I would rewatch again. In fairness to your point, Eric, maybe I think I don't know if Bruce, you agree with this. Sometimes you have to be in a certain kind of mindset with Brandon Charles. You just gotta really kick back and get into that groove. I don't know if you're going to give it a second chance, Eric, but it does get I, I, better. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll finish it. But I, I, you said the Wes Anderson, and I was getting a lot of Wes Anderson out of this. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think, really I mean, that, do not like that that whole aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. and I could, I could totally predict that if I was going to say, like, well, I could see Eric tipping either way on this. And it really does come down to that comedy style, right? If you don't like that kind of... Uh, 
big Q quirky comedy style, then this just may not work for you. But I think on the good side of this, I, to sell it a little bit better, I think it has some real comedy. And I think that the the physical comedy with Charles is is quite great. And the timing is quite great. And I think as it progresses to Greg's point, I think that the stakes get higher. And when they introduce like the, the terrible neighbors and all that stuff is hilarious. They introduce his uh, Brian's possible, uh, you know, love interest. That's also really fun. There, I think there's just so many like small jokes that are, if you listen to them and pay attention, they're just hilarious. I love it. And yeah. look, it gets, oh, go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was going to say, maybe I'll just do a quick rewind on this next week if I get to it. If and you get to if it, I, yeah. If I get to it and I still hate it, I'm just like, eh, we don't need <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I mean, fair. once again, it's comedy, right? It's something's yeah. not going to work for everybody. Certain styles just don't work, you know? Look, and I'll tell you, the, I was surprised at how the ending sort of was tender and it got to me. I didn't cry, but I was like, oh, that was a really, it surprised me. The, the emotion, there, there is actual emotion behind an emotion earned for Brian and Charles. Okay. What is your rating on Brian and Charles Bruce? I, I, I went five stars. I love this movie. <laughs> I really like five it. stars. Bruce this is Berkey. the only movie to get added to my 31. Every no, nothing else is even eligible. The only reason I made it eligible was because it was released before December. If it's just released after December, it cannot make it to my list. That's the penalty I give to you for trying to be Oscar bait movies. <laughs> yeah, they, they they do that every year too. They're like, all right, let's shovel the let's yeah. shovel the thirty movies uh, down your throat that's going to be eligible for Oscars in the last week of yeah. December. It's like no. I have no power except my little tiny little corner of power is I'm just not going to let you be eligible to be on my top list for the movie year if you are released in December. So sorry. I I understand why they do that because, you know, they want to keep the movies on the front of people's brains for award seasons that they think they can get it. What really bugs me about it is then you get movies like uh, uh, Long Walk that show up at the beginning of the year like a normal movie should. You know, when there's nothing else going on, and then that that just uh, gets forgotten about. Not by me. Well, not <laughs> not by me be. either, but I'm just saying in general. But it, it's good to know that everything everywhere all at once, which also came out early, is breaking through that. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there's, there's, there's January, February, and March, which are usually pretty, pretty sparse as far as movies go. I mean, if you, if you got a great movie, put it out in February. People are going to keep talking about it by the end of the year. Why? Because yeah. it was the only good movie that came out that month. <laughs> I think the, my all my top my top four, I believe, were all released before May. Yeah. Well, let's see. One of my favorites was released a couple months ago. You guys still have to see Black Adam, so we're excited for you guys to check out that movie. So I mean, it could be, could be, could be. You never, know. you never know. I, I saw Shazam. Uh, yeah. like a couple years ago, and that was actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So you might be surprised. Maybe look for one black Adam equals five movies, Eric. So if you actually watch black Adams for black Adam, for some reason, you don't have to watch next week's movies. What me and Bruce will cover it, cover for you. That's well, your, I want to see what we're watching next week. week. Cause one of them's uh 
Can, okay. we, I mean, can we tease it? Uh, yeah, I, I, can we tease I, it? We're I'm a family show. We can, we, 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 <laughs> yeah, you're excited as, yeah, we can say hell. We can say hell because, yeah. okay, we can it's say hell. It's a now. place okay. on earth. earth yes, hell yes, is yeah. a place on earth. Right, there you go. Right. <laughs> hell, is, hell is other people, right? Hell is other people. That's another thing. Yes. Can we say hell, um, Bruce, on the, on the show, even though it's clean? It's not, we're not clean anymore. We're actually explicit, but I told Bruce and Eric they have to clean it up. They got to clean their act up. So just out of respect to, to you know, and, and Anderson said, hey, go ahead. You guys do it but I, you know what i realized bruce i was a bad guy i was the one who's making us go clean you, you okay with going clean you okay with uh, that uh i was gonna say hell hell is for children but okay yes <laughs> well, when you put it like that it sounds when bad you it, when you put it like that bruce okay teaser for next week eric owens per your insistence we have a movie called not bergman island but it stars vicky creeps what was that other vicky creeps movie that i really enjoyed but the, about oh, gosh. the oh, no, we were mixed up about it. There was a ski trip, and there's there uh, there's <laughs> that family. Movie. I forgot what that movie was, right? And it wasn't old. I forgot the name of the movie, but it was an it was interesting enough. Okay, uh, yeah, but so it's not that movie. We're movie, we're seeing a movie called Corsage. So that's a period drama headlined by Vicky Creeps. Again, I make fun of me and Bruce make fun of Eric because he wasn't a huge fan of Bergman Island. But in Eric's defense, there are people who are not big fans of Bergman Island as well. But I, we both love Bugman Island, and we both, all three of us, I believe, love Vicky Creep. So we're covering that movie, Corsage. We're also covering The Pale Blue Eye. Eric and Bruce will receive a, yes, yes, Eric, they, we, they will receive a link from the wonder, wonderful people over at next, Netflix early next week. And I think there's one more movie that we're covering that, oh, there's a movie called Living. It's a remake of the Akira Kurosawa film, um, Ikiru. Ikiru. So Living, it's, it's headlined by Bill Nye. I've seen it. I frigging love it. And it's directed by Oliver Hermanis, who you guys might know from about a year and a half ago, we all covered a movie called Muffy. So he is, uh, he's very, very, very good. And it, I'm excited to see, to hear your reactions for those three movies. That's it. Any final thoughts from you, Eric Holmes? Oh, no, just, uh, just look forward for a new Scott Cooper movie already after we just saw Antlers not too long ago. So I'm pretty excited about that, even though for some reason, Reasons I do not understand. People hate Scott Cooper movies. And, I I would know, put that, all that, of that, that their put, loss, as far as I'm concerned. I would put all my pennies because I we earn we we earn pennies. I, I give all my millions to Bruce for this podcast. I would put all my pennies earned from our Find Your Film Cinematics podcast, and I would say, Eric Holmes, that you absolutely five star banged banger, banged or banger. Clean show. Out of the furnace. Out of the furnace. You love that movie. I know that's uh, out of, Combs. Uh, yeah. Crazy Heart, Out of the Furnace, Black Mass. I love that. Hostiles, Antlers. And I'm probably going to love this one too. I, I don't know because I haven't seen it, but I mean, he, he's pretty much. You're Scott a, a Cooper. Batting enthusiast. a thousand for me. Okay. Batting a yeah. thousand, Scott Cooper. For you, Bruce Berkey. You love Scott Cooper as much as Eric Holmes? I haven't seen all of his, but I like, I think all the ones I've seen. Um, Hostiles? Yeah. Hostels I really liked. Out, Out of the furnace. furnace I really liked. And I liked Antlers okay. I liked most of it. Yeah. Okay. You would recommend Antlers? Yes. Black Mask. Have you seen Johnny Depp and Black Mask? Oh, uh, no. Black I have Mask. not seen it. No. Black Mask is a must-see for you, Bruce, because <laughs> you don't have time this year, but next year we might have to do a Black Mask review, because Black Mask review, because yeah. this is one of those things where I think Eric and I both love the movie, but it goes back to the review of that Nicolas Cage movie. What's that Nicolas Cage movie that you and I really loved, Eric Holmes, that Bruce really did not like? That, that, uh, no, no, no. Oh, what was, no, the oh, one oh was uh, like uh, the... Ghost of, Prisoners of Ghostland. 
Prisoners of Ghostland. Oh my god. It'll gosh, be one of those was, situations. <laughs> that movie was hot garbage. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> Delicious Bruce. hot garbage. Call yes. me a possum because I'm eating it all up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be one of those. So Black Mass. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what you think of it down the down the line because Johnny Depp's fantastic in that movie, and I think that movie is very underrated. So I, I've got to see hostels, but all three of us will be reviewing the pale blue eye next week. Most importantly, selfishly, Anderson Cowan will be joining us as well. So that's going to be great. I, hopefully, if he has time, he's going to review one of the films with us as well. Enough of my talking. Let's get to Bruce with his final thought. Well, my final thought is the movie I'm picking from the box for next week. I keep forgetting this. <laughs> I used to do this on Find Your Film every week. My fault, guys. <laughs> and it is... Uh, this is the one that I added to the box, I think, at the beginning of last year. I added a bunch of stuff that I thought I hadn't seen or I needed to re-see because it's been so long. Re-see? Rewatch? Uh, you re-see, re-watch. re-see? You rewatch, yeah. Uh, Cat O' Nine Tales by Dario Argento. I have not seen that movie for probably over 20 years from 1971, so I'm going to watch Cat O' Nine Tales. Cat O' Nine How are we going to watch it? It's good. Oh, it's on Shutter. Shutter, huh? Maybe. I don't know. I'll find Come out. On. Okay. So even if it's rental, you're going to throw some money for, for the rental? Sure. Dario probably needs it. He's He's been spending all his time acting in Gaspar Noe films, so he probably needs a little little moolah. A little, little cheese on that. Okay. Cat and Nine Tales, directed by Yes, Sir. Dario it's uh, Cat and Nine Tales, streaming on Tubi, Plex, Roku Channel, Voodoo, all the places. All the places. All the places for Bruce Berkey to see Cat and Nine Tales. I believe. You know who I bet you is a huge fan of that movie? I'm betting right now. Juan, Juan Diego, wait, Diego, Juan Diego, Pablo, what was, what's his name? Escobar, Escobar, Alzate. Yes, say it, say it correctly, Eric Holmes, like, I, which I, I butchered, say it. Juan Diego Escobar, Alzate. Juan Diego Escobar, Alzate, I believe, from that movie. What movie do we love so much? Uh, Lose the Flower of Evil. Lose the Flower of Evil. I bet you he's a huge fan of Cat and Nine Tales. Please join us next week. I'm going to watch it. I'm actually going, it's, hey, it's Dario Argento. I'm going to join you, Bruce, on this journey. I'm assuming Eric Holmes is going to do it because he always joins Bruce on his What's in the Box journey. I, I, I pop it now and again because, again, I'm not a team player. But hopefully next week we're going to have all four of us here at Cinematics. And we'll see you next week for Cat of Nine Tales. Take care, guys.